Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. As you uh, open your Bibles, I want you to find Nehemiah chapter 4. If you've got a device, it's easy to find. If you're in a paper Bible, a little bit difficult, go to Psalms, go left, a few books, and you'll run right into Nehemiah. We've been looking at the life of Israel in restoration, where Nehemiah is called from his comfy job living in Susa, which is the resort area for the rich and famous, called out to do a job. And I just want you to know today that God is not comfortable with you being comfortable. He has not called you as the kingdom of God, as the Christian community. He has not called you to a life of luxury. He's called you to a life that is on mission, rescuing people from the gates of an eternal hell and delivering them into the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Now, that's really cool that he would use you. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't believe he uses you. Yeah, all right. He wants to use you to impact the kingdom of darkness. And that's bigger than anything you will ever accomplish on your own and in your life. And so today we're going to look at this idea of multitasking. And I'll call today's message Multitasking 101. Now this has been around for years and years and years. In fact, today's passage is 2,500 years old approximately, written by Nehemiah. And God is calling him to do more than one thing at a time. And that's what multitasking is, and quite honestly, the best at multitasking arguably has to be motherhood. Mothers are the greatest multitaskers on the planet. In fact, fathers, when you are given the responsibility over your children, and if it's longer than about a two and a half hour period, you begin to understand how much the mother is doing. And so by the end of the day, if you have your children, amen, you're a smart man. If by the end of the day you've had your children all by yourself and your wife, the mother, comes home, this is your posture here. That's a hard job. Anybody ever done that with your children? Yeah, it's real. It is real. And so multitasking is popular again. Anybody heard the word multitasking lately? Anybody heard anybody? Oh, what are you doing? Just multitasking. Okay. Well, it's not new, but it went through a season when it wasn't in vogue, when it wasn't popular. I remember in, uh, in the early 90s, I was working as a supervising engineer at Mueller Company in Chattanooga. They made fire hydrants, dog's best friend, and water valves, and... In that one facility, there were five labor unions. Now, if you are union steward, you're, I have nothing against unions. They have had their place, and at times, they still need to be in place. But like all good things, they kind of overstepped their boundaries. And so they had, in that factory, they had designed and, and detailed the job description so much you couldn't get anything done. And so it, when I needed something done, this is what I would hear. The most common phrase in that plant was this. Yeah, that's not my job. Because it wasn't in their little union book of what their job description was. And it was a major problem because that's not my job. Well, today, it's still an active uh, position that it's not my job. So let me just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. 
if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he has rescued you from your sinful condition, sealed you with the Holy Spirit, adopted you into the forever kingdom of God, made you a part of the eternal bride of Jesus called the church, he has not called you to take the pit position and posture. That's not my job. In fact, I'll move it to a different phrase. I'll move to the Navy arena. In the Navy, they have a phrase called all hands on deck. What that means is when this certain alarm sounds, everybody's called to the deck for a particular task. It is a joint effort to accomplish the goal or the task at hand. That's what the church is supposed to be. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all hands on deck. I can show you books current authors have written about leadership. And they say things like, you need to be laser focused. You need to eliminate anything that dis distracts you from the primary calling of your life. You just, if you're a pastor, you just need to focus on prayer and preparation for the sermon. And don't get me wrong, those are critically important. But that's a whole lot easier to write in a book than it is to do. And quite honestly, as pastor of this church, God calls me to have a whole sack full of hats. And on Monday night, I, I wear a hat that looks like we're serving the homeless downtown. On Wednesday night, I wear a different hat. On Friday, I wear a different hat. On Sunday, I wear a different hat. So God has called us to do what it takes to accomplish the mission. And so often, I still hear this. Well, we have people that will do that. You, you want to make me mad? You, I'm serious. You want to just see the devil rise up in me? Tell me. Yeah, we, we have people to do that. I'll look at you and say, yeah, we do. But this time, it's your job. Okay? It means we all do what it takes to get the job done. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to do something. You know you've been wanting to say that. You have been wanting to say that, and your pastor gave you permission. You're glad you came. All right? Now, I want to tell you, we are called to be multitaskers. And the first, and the first task that I want to go over is stand our guard. Tell your neighbor you need to stand guard. Let's read what it says in verse 13 in Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, So I stationed people at the lower places behind the wall in the exposed places, and I stationed the people by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, now hold on. Nehemiah is talking about fighting. He's supposed to be part of the kingdom of God. We're Christian people. We're supposed to turn the other cheek and let people walk all over us, right? Not true. That is taken way out of context. There are things in your life, things in my life, things in the life of this church that you have to stand, guard, and protect. Why? Because there's an enemy out there, and he is out to get us. He hates you. He hates this church. He hates me, the pastor. And he wants to do whatever he can to eliminate you. It's that real of a, of a warfare. If you stand for the kingdom, there is a kingdom that stands against you. Okay? And so you got to stand guard. Nehemiah is not afraid of it. He said, we got a job to do, but while we do our job, he said, we go, we're going to be ready to guard the thing that God has given us to do. Now, we live in a world sometimes that they say, well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to trust God and let him handle it. And I'm not going to do what I probably need to do because I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to trust God. Well, listen, that's great. We'll get to that point in a minute. But there's some things in this life that God isn't going to do on your behalf because he's given you the ability to do it for yourself. Let me give you an example. We live in East Tennessee. 
December will come. It gets cold. Not very cold, but cold enough. We think it's cold. Okay, January gets cold. Now, I have sense enough that when it gets cold, I look at the forecast. Whoa, it's calling for 18 degrees. I'm going to put a coat on. Okay. Now, I could say I'm not putting a coat on. I'm going to pray that God will grow me a pelt tonight while I sleep. Okay. And when it warms back up, it'll just fall off and my wife will fuss because there's hair all over the house. Now, some of you, I've seen you. You've got a pelt. Okay. But everybody doesn't have a pelt. And that's not what it's for. No, God has given you sense to get out of the rain, sense to put a coat on in the winter. There's some things he wants you to do for yourself. It just comes with this gray matter that's wrapped around, wrapped by a skull. And so we have to be careful what we don't do under the idea that we're just going to trust God to do it for ourselves. 2 Timothy 4.2, some of it's hard. Guarding things are hard. Here's one, 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. As a preacher of God's word, there's parts of it that are really happy passages. Really good stuff, just everybody, it's, it just tickles your ears, it's just warm and fuzzy scripture. But there's other parts of it that rebuke and kind of cut and kind of move into that uncomfortable area and penetrate that calloused heart and call us and move us to a, to a new place. Another passage, Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of the darkness, but instead expose them. Sometimes darkness just needs to be dispelled with light. It's what it looks like when you guard what is important to you and what is important to the kingdom. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, guard by means of the indwelling spirit, the good deposit. Now sometimes guarding things puts you in a compromised, uncomfortable situation. I'll give you an example. In the 90s, I, uh, I, I used to take customers. I, had a, I worked for a big company. I was in sales. And, and we used to take our customers on custom, customer appreciation outings. We would go golfing all over the southeast. Girls and my wife, they'd go with me a lot of times. This particular one, no wives went, no children, just men. Well, in that world, man, there's a whole lot of alcohol involved. And, and they drank a lot. I don't drink anything. Didn't drink anything then. And, and, but they'd drink all day. I mean, not water. You know, they weren't staying hydrated. They were staying intoxicated, okay? And so I remember we took them out to this big dinner one night after golfing all day. And, and, and I went back to my room because I really didn't have anything in common with them after dark, okay? I'd play golf with them. I'd, you know, I'd beat them because they were wasted. Okay, it was a good day, okay? We eat dinner. I'd go back to my room. I was in my room. I was watching TV, minding my own business. I'd called home, checked in with Kendra and the girls. Everything's good. So I got a phone. I get a phone call from the vice president. He says, Joel, I need you to do me a favor. I said, yeah, what's that? He said, I need you to come and get these guys and take them to a strip club. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, click. So I prayed. I said, now, Lord, I'm trying here, but could you get, come on. What am I supposed to do? And he said, take them to a strip club. I mean, he didn't, wasn't audible. It was louder than that. It was in my soul. He said, just take them. Just take them. Don't go in. He said, because if you don't take them, they're going themselves, and you're going you're going to put somebody else at risk. And I said, okay, you say so. So I put them in the car. I took them down to the strip club, parked in the back in the booth in the corner in the dark. You know, and nobody going to see me. And, and, and they said, and they're, hey, you know, they're all thick-tongued, carrying on. Yeah, we come on. Yeah, and I said, yeah, yeah. They started getting out. I'm sitting in the car. Yeah, come on, Joe. I said, I ain't going in there. 
Oh, yeah, you're going, you're going with us. I said, I'm not going in there. Why, why, why are you not going in there? I said, I'm a husband. I'm a daddy. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a deacon. I'm a Christian. How many more things you need? I got a whole list. I, I'm not going in, but y'all go in there and have a good time. Tell them Brother Joel said hi. I don't care, okay? But I ain't going in there, okay? Now, here's what happened. They went in there, and some of those are church-going people, Okay? They acting like they lost, but and they may be, but they're church going. So one at a time, I just I just folded the seat back and went to sleep. About 30 minutes goes by. Yeah, yeah, what, what? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't need to be in there either. I said, okay, whatever, you know. Everybody doing okay in there? Everything's fine? Okay, yeah. So one at a time, here they came. We weren't there an hour, hour and a half, and they were all... I, I wasn't trying to make them feel guilty. I wasn't speaking King's English. I wasn't quoting King James. You know, I was just, I was just standing my guard. Why? Because when God sends Jesus into your life to save you, he wants you to guard yourself from the enemy who wants to destroy not just your relationship with God, but your reputation with the world. And so we've got to guard what matters. Now, I, am, I have to protect it a lot of times. I don't have women in my office. Kendra's welcome to come. My daughter's welcome to come. Women don't come in my office without the doors open. There's a window in there. Somebody else in the church. Is it because I don't trust me? Well, sometimes maybe. Is it because I don't trust the woman? Maybe sometimes they're not trustworthy, but I don't trust the enemy. I don't trust him. And he, is, he will do everything possible to destroy your testimony, ruin your witness, and, and damage your relationship with the Jesus who died on a cross to save you. So... I, Sometimes guarding things comes across harsh. It comes across judgmental. It comes across cold or calloused. You know, it just is what it is. I want you to know, I'm very proud of guarding what matters most. While you sit in your spot, and all of you got a spot. You, you sit there every week. I, I know where to look to find you. Wayne Wood drifts every now and then, but he goes right back to that spot. Okay. I got a spot. My spot's right here. While I'm in my spot, you're in your spot, we have guards on duty, trained police officers who are protecting us. They watch everybody. Come. If you leave early, they'll give you the one. So they might put the stink eye on you. You know, like, what are you doing outside? You know, they're, 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 they're taking care of it. Why? So I don't have to. Okay? We have Missy Chadwell looks after a preschool. She's preschool Nazi. You, she's all over that. Okay? She'll bust you up. She'll, I, she'll probably tackle me if I tried to get down the hallway. Okay? And she knows me. Okay? We are protecting. We're guarding what matters to us. And I want you to know that's so we are free to do what we need to do in here. In Mission 11B, we have people who are trained. Oh, I'll say this. In this very room, right now, don't, don't wave them at me. There's people who are packing. You know what that means? They got a firearm on their person, okay? And honestly, if anybody ever starts shooting, I'm diving in that baptistry right there <laughs> so I don't get shot by friendly fire, okay? Because it's crazy. People say, get a gun, okay? So while we're in here, we're being protected. 11B on Monday nights, we have people down there who protect us. And sometimes it's ugly and uncomfortable, but man, I'm so proud we have them. I'm glad we have security in place. I love police officers, man. I, I actually enjoy seeing a police officer pull a vehicle over. Uh, other people's vehicles, not mine, but other people's. Because I know they're doing their job. I know I'm safer because they're out there. I love knowing that we have a military, all branches of the military, doing our, a job here domestically and abroad. Who, 
protecting me and my freedom. And I appreciate them and make no apologies for those moments when it looks a little uncomfortable and the liberals are crying out, yeah, well, you d they didn't get a fair shake. If you're doing something illegal, you have, in my opinion, you've just erased your opportunity for a fair shake. Okay? So thought I'd get on my soapbox right there. We've got to protect. We've got to guard what's important. And God wants us to look after it. I don't have a problem with people guarding what's important and if it costs me something. I remember shortly after 9-11, I was in Statesboro, Georgia. And I was driving a green minivan. Army green minivan, black windows. Okay? Not the front. It was company issue. Okay? And it was summertime. And I wasn't thinking about driving a green army looking van. And I... I had a beard, and it was summer, so I, I get brown, okay, and I got like an Iranian nose, and I'm driving around Statesboro, Georgia, because a friend of mine wanted me to look at his tractor, and I went around the corner, and I couldn't find it where he said it was supposed to be, I went around another corner, couldn't find it, circled it again, left, I'm on the way out to the plant, and I notice police officers are going everywhere, they're going nuts, I thought, man, something big's going on, what I didn't know, it was me. And so I finally pulled into a Piggly Wiggly, okay? You know, that's where big things go down. And I got out of my van. Don't get out of the vehicle anymore. Do not get out. I got out of the van. I was like, because I hadn't done anything that time. And so when I got out, they said, put your hands upon the vehicle. I put my hands on the vehicle like this. And, and they had their guns out because I had brown skin, a big nose, a beard, driving a green van. I guess I hadn't done anything else. And so now, listen, I could be, I could be offended. Well, you're, that's, you're stereotyping. Okay, you're picking on me because of my look, okay? No, <laughs> I'm delighted that there's people on guard go through the airport every single time I get the special treatment. I get the rub down, you know, whoo, get a little too close right there, okay? And I tell them up front, I don't know where that came from, okay? I tell them up front, up front, before I go through the thing, before you stand in there like this, okay? I say, got a prosthetic hip, You'll go back out. You have a wristwatch on? No, got a prosthetic hip. You got a neck? I have no neck. Got a prosthetic hip. Come on. Okay, come over here, sir. I get the rub down every time. Do I care? No, I don't care if they rub everybody down. You can take all my underwear out of my suitcase. You look at everybody. Look at everybody's stuff. I want. I don't want to blow up when we go up in the sky. Okay. Now, guard, guard, guard. What's important? We're called to do that. You can trust God. We're going to get to the second point. But task number one is be on guard. Number two is trust your God. Verse 14 says, when I had made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord. I love that phrase. I want to remind you of something. He's big. Bigger than you can imagine. He's great. Greater than you can fathom. Always keep this in mind. Big God, little me, and you'll be fine. He says, listen, we have a big God. He's awesome. And it says this, and fight on behalf of your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your families. Verse 15, and it so happened that when our adversaries heard that we are aware of these matters, God frustrated their intentions. You see, God doesn't fight like we fight. And it's okay every now and then to fight physically. We're called to do that, to protect and guard what's important to us. But God fights differently. He confused them where they couldn't even attack. He, he, he operates in a whole different realm. And so what I like about this is Nehemiah sells the people. He says, listen, 
I know they're out there. I know they've rallied up troops in the neighborhood for miles and miles. I know what, what weaponry they have. I know what plans they have to come in and attack us and kill us. But don't be afraid. I want you to know something this morning. Fear and anxiety, they are not your friends. They are not from God. You can't have fear and God in your life together except a reverential fear for God. Okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Now let me just go ahead and warn you. If you haven't gotten there yet, let me tell you the time when you will be most fearful. When, I mean it begins when you have your first baby. Caitlin, when you left Judson over at Mimi and Popo's house. Okay, the first time. Kind of freaks you out a little bit. It, listen, it pales in comparison. One day, your child will turn 16. And they will get in a big metal box and shoot down the road about 60 miles an hour with people coming straight at them. All of them carrying cell phones, eating cheeseburgers, drinking a, a, a soft drink, and checking out the environment. Okay? And it will scare you to death. And listen, the only thing worse than sending your child off in a car is putting them in somebody else's car. Because the only thing you trust less than your kid is the neighbor's kid, you know? And so they're going to get on the road, drive down the road, man. And listen, you do all you can in guarding what's important, and then just trust God. Everybody do this. Everybody just make two fists. Don't use them. Just make them, okay? Squeeze them till the blood comes out of your knuckles, till you got white knuckle, okay? That's how we hang on to anxiety and fear, we, we, we guard, we guard, we do our part, and, and we forget that it's not all our battle. And so we hang on, and we worry, and we have stress and anxiety. Now watch this. And man, we, just, we forget that we're hanging on. Now just release your hands. And now all of a sudden your hands are free to use for something else, and that's the way it is with our life. When stress and anxiety ties us up and binds us, we're not free to do what we're supposed to be doing because we're all tied up with that stress and with that fear and with that worry. I want to tell you something. God is really, really good at being God. Hello. It's just about that easy. But the problem is often we don't let him be God because we want to put on those shoes and be our own God in our own little world. And that's when, it, when that happens, it looks like worry, stress, anxiety, and fear. And so God will fight your fights for you. Matthew 6 weighs in on this. He says, why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow it's tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry saying, what are we going to eat, and what are we going to drink, and what are we going to wear? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them so above all pursue his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you I can tell when somebody is not right in their spiritual journey by the anxiety that comes from their countenance and from their mouth because when you get God right everything else will take its proper position on your priority list now, that's really good. So you can drop back at any moment in time and say, okay, what am I worried about? Anybody here worried about anything? Watch this. Just be honest. Anybody in here worried about anything? Okay. Everybody look around. You're not alone. And the rest of them, I'm worried about them because they're lying. Okay. 
All of us worry about something sometime. If you're not worried about anything right now, there's probably a worry coming. At any time, you, can, you should check yourself and say, am I worried? Am I trying to own what God wants me to give to him? Open up our hands and say, here it is, God. I'm going to let you have it. And he's really, really good at taking it off of our hands. Psalm 55, 22 says, throw your burden. Throw, just cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will, he will never allow the, the godly to be upended. Hebrews 13, 6. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? And lastly, Romans 8, 31 what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't it good to know? He's your God. He's not a God. He's the God, and he's your God. If you're a child of God, born in Jesus Christ, uh, born into the kingdom in Jesus Christ, he is your personal God. This is Father's Day, and we make that so civilized. It's Father's Day, okay? It's Daddy's Day. Abba in the Bible means Daddy. That's who God is, wants to be to you. Not some distant, civilized father, but your personal, intimate, up close and personal daddy. The one you call on, the one you cry out to, the one you lean on, the one you expect, the one who he can count on you. He's to be your personal, heavenly daddy. So tell your neighbor, stand your guard. Tell them, trust your God. And now tell them, accomplish your goal. Keep in mind, it's all going on at the same time. We're multitasking. Nehemiah never lays down one thing to accomplish another. He's always moving forward in the vision that God has given for him, and he's doing it all at the same time. Number three, accomplish our goals. Listen to what it says. Then, verse 15b, <clears throat> all of us return to the wall, each to his own work. From that day forward, half of my men were doing the work, and half of them taking up spears, shields, bows, and body armor. Now the officers were behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. And those who were carrying loads did so by keeping one hand on the work and the other on their weapon. And the builders to a man had their swords strapped to their sides while they were building, but the trumpeter remained with me. Now, I just think this is so cool. This is so confident. This is so comfortable in the greatness of who God is. The enemy is right outside the walls. Last week we saw it was halfway finished. They're right outside. The word on the street is, man, they're crouching in the darkness. They're getting ready to pounce on you. They're large. They're fortified. or not fortified, but they're trained. And they have weapons on their sides. And they want to kill you. And Nehemiah says, yeah. He says, yeah, that's real. But you know what? we got a job to do. So let's get back to the wall. Just keep your sword in case we have to fight. Keep your trowel in your hand while we have to build this wall. He says it doesn't matter. He lists the list of different groups. He says it doesn't matter what your calling is. If you're a bricklayer, lay bricks. If you're a, cone, a, a stone craftsman, cut stone. If you're a water boy, bring some water. If you're a cook bringing us lunch, cook some stuff. But let's get back to what it is that God wants us to do. Now listen, everybody had their place. And he says that everybody went back to accomplish the vision and the goal that God had placed before them. I want to invite you to find that place. I want to invite you to find your place in the wall building process. Now ours isn't a physical stone wall. Ours is the church of Jesus Christ. Ours is a forever bride of Jesus. 
And if you're saved, born again, sealed in the Spirit, you're called to be a part of that kingdom agenda, rescuing people from a hell-bound eternity and delivering them to a place. Hello. I don't know that song. Can't sing it. All right? Uh, <laughs> there it is. All right. All right. We're, we're in the business of rescuing hellbound people into the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to encourage you to find your place in that. Everybody in here isn't called to be a physical pastor or preacher. I'm confident. I know that. I accept that. But everybody in here is called to a particular place on the wall, building the kingdom. So I want to encourage you and invite you to find your place and get in there. Why? Because God has called you and gifted you to be a part. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one, and it has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, and so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now listen to what he says. For the body does not consist of one member only, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not even belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make any, it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He goes on and on, labors the idea that the church, the kingdom of God, is built up of individuals with particular parts, particular gifts, particular ways and strengths to come along the church and find your place in the body. Now, there's some people in here multitasking. They're, they're operating, playing two or three different parts of the body because others hadn't found their place yet. I want to invite you to find that place. I want to invite you to find that place. It's, you're very important to the kingdom. And, and, and I know sometimes people say, I don't know if I want to find out what part I am because he might make me like the big toe. I don't really want to be with the big toe. I don't even like feet. You've stuck at the end of a sock, toe jam everywhere. Don't be acting like you don't know what toe jam is. That's civilized. I'm cramped up with them little toes, okay? Man, I, I don't want to be the big toe. I want to be like the head, the brain. I want to be something important. Your big toe's important. You want to know how important it is? You want to put it to the test? Husbands, when you get home today, if you don't believe the big toe's important, take your shoe and your sock off. Tell your wife to go get the hammer. <laughs> Smash that big toe real good. You'll find out real fast how important that big toe is. That's how you'll be walking because it's vitally important. I had a guy when we lived in Alabama, owned a company. He built, was building a house. Sold his house prematurely. He said, can I keep my piano at your house? I said, yeah. He brought some of his employees over there. They had this Tommy lift truck. And one of them's a big old guy. And he was wearing flip-flops. Sounds like something I'd do. Wear flip-flops to a construction, a moving site. And so on the count of three, they were going to set it on the Tommy lift. And he goes, one, two, three. Set it right back down and put his head on top. And I looked down, and his big toenail was saluting us. It stood straight up just like that. Some of y'all, your toe just went right up under your foot right there. Okay. Now, he found out real quick how important the big toe is. And I want you to know, all of you are a part of the kingdom. God has gifted you. 
He has selected you and appointed you and wired you with a predisposition to be a particular part of the body of Christ. And I want to tell you something. If you operate in the place where you're not supposed to be, you don't, if you're supposed to be an ear, you just don't make a good hand. You're miserable, and some of you, the reason you don't serve in the kingdom is because you, were, you, you started in a place that you weren't called to be. I tell people all the time, you need to sign. If you don't know what your gift is, start out in a preschool. Sign up. Call Meredith. Sign up in the preschool. I'm serious. We need you to do that, okay? Go down there. If you hate them and they hate you, you'll know it. Realize that's just not, I'm, that's not what I'm supposed to be. Go upstairs to the children. Try the children. If you find out you hate them even more, and they're even meaner than the preschoolers. The only difference, they don't poop on you, okay? But it's still miserable. That ain't your place, okay? But some, some people go in the preschool, man, and they're in their zone. Why? Because God has designed them to be that part of the local body. You just keep moving around until you find that place. Because listen, when you find that place where you serve in the body of Christ, you will be blessed and you'll be a blessing to those around you. God needs you to do that. Number four. Task number four, all at the same time, is rally our group. Rally our group. It says in verse 19, So now I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is demanding, it's extensive, and we are spread out on the wall, far removed from one another. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, gather there with us, and our God will fight for us us so we worked on with half holding spears from dawn till dusk at the time i instructed the people let every man and his co-workers spend the night in jerusalem and let them be guards for us by night and workers by day and we did not change clothes not i nor my relatives nor my workers nor the watchmen who were with me each had his weapon even when getting a drink of water at the end of the day, we all have a job to do. It's not somebody else's job. It's yours. It's mine. It's ours. The beauty of this passage, Nehemiah excludes no one. Nehemiah says, I'm right there with him. Man, I'm gardening. I'm working. I didn't change clothes, you know, and neither did anybody else. We're all in this game together. You know, there's sometimes people come into your camp and, boy, they just, they just get you all discouraged. And uh, sometimes we just need to recognize that this is a, a battle, and we need to fight together. We're on the same team, okay? Fighting the same common enemy. I remember five years ago when we started this revitalization. And uh, shortly after we started it, as we were starting it, there's a church up on the hill that was changing things. I'll leave it at that. So they were going to sell all their chairs, so we bought them. We put half of them here and half over at Second Baptist. You're sitting on them. It was a great deal. So we emptied out the chairs, and that building is getting vacant. And then all of a sudden, dun, 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 a new church is moving into that building, almost adjoining property. Who is it? Faith Promise. And I remember probably no less than 25 people. Brother Joel, have you heard? I said, what? Faith Promise is moving in up on the hill. And I said, they are. They said, yeah. I said, well, we're on the same team. We just got a different name. Okay? Oh, that doesn't bother you? You don't think it's going to hurt our church? No. It's not going to hurt our church. They're a big church. They do things a little different. 
I know the pastor. He was my reader on my thesis. I, I know him. They, they do a good thing, okay? For people that want to watch a big TV, they'll go up there. For people that want a live guy, they'll come down here, okay? That's pretty much it. It's okay. But I want to tell you, sometimes, man, we just need to look up, look up and ask ourselves a question. Is the situation we are in bigger than the God we serve? So whether it's at your company, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your small group, your network, your friends, your children, or even at church, sometimes we just need to rally everybody up and say, hey, I know it's ugly out there. I know there's a big enemy out there that's trying to destroy us, but our God is bigger than all of that. And so let's come together, let's be unified, let's press on and work toward the goal and the vision that God has called us to. Listen, and God will defeat our enemies and fight our battles. So here we are today, June of 2019, in this church, and I want to invite you all to find that place that God has called you to be, that member, that part in the local church, which is a forever thing. Because at the end of the day, when this life is over, if we have yielded our allegiance to everything under the sun, our career, academics, athletics, everything under the sun, at the end of the day, when this life is over, it will amount to naught, absolute nothingness. Because everything outside the kingdom of God, the church, people being saved, everything else is wood, hay, and stubble. It perishes in the end. But the church lives on forever. <laughs> I, I didn't ask to be a preacher. I didn't invite myself. I didn't call myself. I didn't look in the mirror and say, you'll be a good preacher. The Holy Spirit of God convicted my heart. I'm, so, I'm delighted that he did. I love what I do. I love knowing that what I do somehow, some way impacts a foreverness in heaven. And I'm humbled by that. And I'm not the exception. I'm the rule. And you are too. He wants to include you in something bigger than you. He wants to use you. He wants to challenge you. He wants to magnify the gift within you to use you for something much, much greater. I really do mean that. I don't say that lightly. So the question is, what will that be? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm inviting us all to be more faithful in attendance and worship and prayer. I'm inviting us to a place where we're more willing to serve nursery children, youth, students, small groups, whatever that place is. I'm inviting us to be more faithful to give our time, ties, talents, money minutes, and ministries. I want us to be more faithful to invite and multiply the kingdom, not just add to it. Because Galatians 6, 9 says, in the things that matter most, let us not grow weary in doing well.
we find ourselves in a funny place where God is doing great things in the life of this church. And I want him to use you. I'm inviting you to allow God to use you like he's never used you before. It begins by standing your ground, trusting your God, accomplishing the goals before you, and when needed, rally those around you who need to be encouraged. And if you haven't heard anything I've said all morning, I want you to hear this. In the depths of your soul, I want you to know that there's a God who created you with a purpose and a plan that's bigger and more magnificent than you can possibly understand. And in this very fraction of a second in time, He loves you more than you can possibly understand. He could not love you anymore because it's not based on you. It's based on Him being God. And if you're outside of a relationship with God, you've never received Jesus, His Son, into your life, I want to encourage you and invite you because He wants you in His family. You simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm so convinced of my wrongdoings. And God, I feel right now that you love me. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I believe you love me so much that you came and died on a cross on my behalf to pay for my sin. I receive your gift of grace. I want Jesus to come into my life right now to save me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving and loving somebody like me in Jesus' name. 